welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. Welcome to the Painter Marketing Mastermind Podcast, a show created to help painting company owners build a thriving painting business that does well over $1 million in annual revenue. I'm your host, Brandon Pierpont, founder of Painter Marketing Pros and creator of the popular PCA educational series, Learn, Do, Grow, Marketing for Painters. In each episode, I'll be sharing proven tips, strategies, and processes from leading experts in the industry on how they found success in their painting business. We will be interviewing owners of the most successful painting companies in North America and learning from their experiences. On this episode of the Painter Marketing Mastermind podcast, we host guest Michael Sutton. Michael owns Kind Home Solutions, a residential repaint company based in Denver, Colorado. Over the course of just four years, Michael has built Kind Home Solutions to doing $6.3 million in revenue, and he has ambitions to do far more in the coming years. Michael attributes much of his success to having a sales-oriented mindset and always striving to find quality people with the right experience to join his team and help drive the company forward. He encourages painting company owners to make sure they know their numbers and stresses that you can't fix an unprofitable business through generating more unprofitable work. If you want to learn more about the topics we discussed in this podcast and how you can use them to grow your painting business, visit paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast for free training, as well as the ability to schedule a personalized strategy session for your painting company. Again, that URL is paintermarketingpros.com forward slash podcast. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, absolutely, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So tell me a little bit about Kind Home Solutions. What do you guys do? Kind Home Solutions. Uh, we are a residential house painting company. Uh, we primarily focus on exterior painting. We do interior painting and uh, repairs along with it. So woodwork, gutters, siding. Uh, we have a small holiday light division that we do during our off season. So uh, our home base is in Denver, Colorado, and our winters start to uh, get a little bit inhibiting of exterior painting around November. Okay. And I transitioned some of my painting teams to uh, light installations. And then I have a very small repeat division. Okay, nice. So we're, you guys are based out of Denver. Now, is it purely residential or do you guys do commercial as well? 99.9% residential all right so you guys are, are residential almost purely now where where are you at if you don't mind me sh- or sharing uh revenue wise revenue uh this show will do 6.3 million 6.3 and how many years have you been in business uh this was our fourth season fourth season michael that's a pretty good run right there it's impressive growth congratulations thank Four you years how, how'd you do that uh hard work hard work but every, everyone's out there working hard michael how, how'd you do that uh phenomenal team hard work and some great experience so um 
really, I think the key to it is understanding where we were going before we began. And frankly, we're behind the curve as far as growth. Really? So you wanted to be beyond 6.3, four years deep? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Where, what was your goal out of curiosity? Uh, five-year goal was probably in the 15. 15. Okay. Wow. That is a, uh, an aggressive fight. So when you say experience, what do you mean by that? Um, I've got a really experienced team uh, as far as people being within the industry. Uh, a lot of us have worked for several different painting companies. Uh, we've seen the nuts and bolts of, of small painting companies, of large painting companies. And, you know, the experience that the team has is been been key to it. Okay. So who's your team? Who is my team? Um, I've got a few different departments uh, that run. So I started the business with my wife four years ago and she ran the office, uh, pretty much any inbound phone calls to the company. Uh, she answered all of them. Um, and we very quickly added a salesperson onto the team, uh, added a project manager on immediately following that. And then it was incremental pieces to that configuration as it, it scaled. So adding okay. to sales then production, then phones, then sales, then production, then phones. Got it. So kind of building up that, that sales and production sort of in tandem, keeping it pretty balanced. And it sounds like you sort of started though with it, with the focus on sales, kind of build the sales first and then the production to catch up. Is that how you were looking at it? hundred percent. Well, okay. Yeah. That's a, a common theme that I've noticed with, with other guests on the show is this aggressive sales mentality. You know, you can kind of approach it like, Hey, I, I want to make sure that, that we have all of our, our infrastructure in place and all of our painters in place, and then we'll sell, or you can sell and kind of build the airplane on the way down, which is a little bit more kind of the entrepreneur's mindset. Right? Yeah. You have to have jobs. Yeah. You yeah, have you to got, have something for them to do. Got to pay them, pay them somehow. Right. So what's your mm -hmm. wife's name? Uh, Whitney. Whitney. Okay, so Whitney was pretty instrumental. Are, do you guys co-own this? Do we? No, no, no. No. So, all right, it's Michael's show. Whitney's mm -hmm. just along for the ride. No, I'm just kidding. I, I know she could hear me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, great. So, so you, you know, you've been talking a lot about the experience of your team and how important that is. So let's kind of start from the beginning. Let's, let's talk about your experience and Whitney's experience prior to starting Kind Home Solutions. Yeah, I've somewhat always had that, that entrepreneur spirit, uh, knew from, from a very early age that this is most likely what I wanted to do, had no idea it would be in a painting business specifically, uh, went to Colorado to start a website, realized I knew nothing about websites and I shouldn't be building them or hiring people to build them and ended up working for a very small painting company. Uh, and at that very little painting company, I managed the people knocking doors. We generated the leads. I called the leads. I did the estimates. And once I won a job, I handed it over to the owner of the company for either him or his one of his subs to paint the house. Okay. And uh, did a season with them. Saw them complete a couple hundred thousand dollars of revenue. And meanwhile, a close friend of mine worked for another company 
and they completed seven million dollars of revenue that year. A little different. Yeah. 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 How did we do two hundred and they did seven hundred or seven million? Yeah. Uh, and I ended up going to work for them and I worked for them for five years, met my wife there before we started this business. Interesting. So. What were you doing? What, what was the name of that company? Uh, their name is uh, Vivax Pros in Denver. Vivax Pros. And, and what were you doing for them? Uh, I did estimating. So I was a salesperson. Okay. What was that? Were you primarily inbound sales or were you doing some, some cold calling kind of outbound kind of stuff? Oh, okay. Um, so we did all of the estimating. So there was an appointment set for a I time see. to receive a, a quote and I just provided those estimates. Got it. So your job was to go out, you know, obviously quote, quote the job and ultimately make the, the prospective customer feel really comfortable with you and the company. Correct. Yep. Got it. Now what was Whitney doing there? Uh, uh, she was managing the appointment setting for the estimating department. Okay. So she was, so, she was kind of doing the inbound sales then. Mm-hmm. Okay. So both so of you were kind of in sales capacity role, sales type roles. hundred percent. Okay. And then when you went to start, well, first off, what, what kind of prompted you to say, Hey, I'm going to go. And I know you've had this entrepreneurial drive, but, but where did you sort of decide you're going to start a painting company and this is a good idea? Well, I think it was one of those things every year at Christmas, I'd call my father and say, hey, I, I think I want to do this on my own. He'd say, no, 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 you, you don't know enough. Yeah. Well, he's, all, he's probably always going to, if there's anything like my dad, he's going to say it forever, man. <laughs> well, you know, he didn't. Um, but four years, you know, he had a reason, you know, no, don't do it because you don't know enough. You don't know enough about management. You don't know enough about the mm. ins and outs. You don't know enough about the painting. Mm. Um, and he, I grew up with him being a part-time painter. Okay. So many of his uh, friends were painters. He was a part-time painter. Uh, we grew up painting our church every year uh, in all of our friends and family's homes. So it was something I was very close with. And uh, then when it was right, we, we kind of all just knew it was, now the time was right. Right. Nice, uh, man. And more than anything, I had the commitment from Whitney to do it with me. Yeah, it's big. Uh, the, the not going alone portion, I think, is uh, valuable. So, yeah. Uh, more hands get work done quicker. Yeah. What, what is it like? More hands make light work or something? Something <laughs> along that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you need people to help you, basically. Um, especially, I think it, it's it makes you know we've seen a lot of success stories with with the husband wife uh, kind of power couple, dual couple. You know, if you have someone supporting, because it's not easy in the beginning, no matter how much you know. I, I guess what were some of your biggest struggles in year one? Too too many employees. Too many employees. Uh, over overly generous compensation plans Interesting. Uh, underpriced work it's almost always one of the issues so, yeah. uh so basing our pricing off of uh the market and not off of our business i love that uh not understanding finances 
and saying, you know, if I just get more projects, we're going to be good. But if you don't really focus on the job costing and realize how much you're spending per job, it's uh, very, very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of painters end up getting stuck in that, that kind of hamster wheel. I think, you know, there's a quote, John Wooden quote um, that I really like said, don't mistake activity for achievement, you know, make sure that, that your activity is focused and that you're actually achieving something with it. So what, you know, when you kind of started job costing and realizing you need to know your numbers better, what are you looking for in terms of profit margin now on your jobs? Uh, 50%. 50%. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. That's where it's currently at. And from here, it'll be incremental pieces of growth. Yeah. I love that. So one thing you said that was really interesting was you don't you you made the mistake of basing your prices on the market which i think is is obviously the natural tendency look around what at what other people are charging rather than on your business can you kind of explain how you transitioned away from market pricing and how, how you were still able to close jobs at what i assume were higher prices yeah know your numbers and work them backwards <laughs> yeah so, uh, and that was a step that I had always skipped. I, I knew a business based off of what was I charging? What were other people charging? What was my number one competitors charging? Thinking that if, if you know those price points and you fall somewhere in the middle, you would be comfortable. Mm -hmm. that's, that's not how it always works. Um, starting with what is the labor? What is the materials? What are the marketing costs? What are the overhead and, and breaking those down to a per job cost and fitting them in was the key for, for us to, to scale and to, to get to a point where we know we have a long uh, runway in front of us. Yeah. Do you, I guess, based on your market, do you know, like, hey, we're, we're typically 20% higher than, than the median or what does that look like for you guys? Uh, have you ever heard a painter say that they're not the most expensive? Uh, I have actually, I have heard it. Yeah. We tend not to work with those painters, but I have heard it. Um, I, I think it's funny that, uh, no matter who I hear speaking or what always, guests always the best is on there, everyone always says that they have the best painters and they charge the most for it. Yeah. Um, if you ask any of my estimators, they all say that we're the most expensive. Yeah. Um, I don't necessarily believe that, uh, you know, um, when people are quoting houses, it's super easy for one person to look at a house and see something that another doesn't. Yep. And how you compare, you know, apples to apples or bid to bid company to company changes from consistently. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone knows Serta Pro, but I might give a bid against Serta Pro and be $2,000 more in the next house. They're five thousand dollars more yeah you say i don't know what i'm missing here <laughs> especially the uh interior so, jobs right interiors exteriors you know I, I see them both yeah um as far as that inconsistency within pricing uh, i don't think that it's something that painters often know well is how to look at a project and know what it's really going to cost right where do these hidden challenges lie? How steep is that roof? How tall is that third story? How dangerous are the rocks on the side of the house? Yep. 
that that go into calculating, you know, the accuracy of a bid. I, I don't think a lot of companies do that well, and I see inconsistencies. So it's difficult to say where we fall in the market. Fair enough. Yeah, those those variables that are constantly changing. You know, it's not just the price per square foot, but what else do you have to deal with? What obstacles might be there? So mm-hmm. when when you and and Whitney, you guys had some basically sales experience. You had it sounds like you had a little bit of, of management experience. Obviously, we're mm-hmm. you know we're all operating in people business. Um, when you when you started bringing on team members, because you, mm-hmm. you've spoken a lot about the importance of of the experience of your team. What were you looking for when you started making those first few hires? In the beginning, grit, determination, people who wanted to fight through that, what was, you know, difficult. Uh, And really people that aligned with our core values. Uh, That journey of defining our core values over the last few years has been one of the most powerful to the acceleration of our company and making sure we had the right people in the right seats. Um, bad apples uh, spread quickly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Got to weed them out quickly. So your core values in this journey, what are your core values and how did you discover them and how do you promote them in your business? Um, kindness is a core value, kind, intentional, nimble, dependable, um, but it's, it's really just about being kind and leaning into who we know and how you treat people and, and what you're doing before you meet with somebody, what you're doing after and, and how those interact with one another. Um, trying to shift the focus off of, Hey, it's just about the highest quality or the longest warranty or the best work or the most premiumness and, and switching it over to an experience, um, making sure that we have the people on our team to provide that right feeling to our clients. Yeah, that is, that, that's something that has actually come up repeatedly as well with other guests, this idea that, that you're not really operating as a, as a painting company. That's not really what you're selling. You're not selling paint. You're selling a customer experience and a customer journey. You know, mm-hmm. ultimately homeowners can do this themselves. So when the substitute is that they could literally do it themselves, it becomes clear. You're not selling paint and you're not selling, putting paint on walls either. No. Yeah. Commercial, that might be a little bit different. But I think for <laughs> residential, you know, you're really selling something more. Absolutely. And and that's where we made the decision about a year ago to say commercial wasn't what we were going to pursue. It doesn't make sense. And we have to say no. Um, it's not worth getting dragged into how do we paint 500 units in a, an apartment complex. Yeah. Not what we're built for. Uh, it's not the value statements that we have. It's not our unique selling proposition. None of that falls inside of the commercial world. Um, our focus is on customer experience and happy clients and how they feel start to finish working with us. Yeah. So, so tell me a little bit about your, I guess, h- how you do that. So when, when a customer comes to you and, uh, well, well, first off, kind of tell me how you get your customers. And then when they come to you, what does that look like for them? What happens? Yeah. Uh, at this point, all of our marketing is inbound marketing. Um, we began with a pretty aggressively building a door to door team and I had seven or eight knockers, door knockers, field marketing, uh, reps working for me. 
uh, on March 17th of 2020. And that's when Denver went into shelter in place. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I decided it wasn't the appropriate thing for our community to be <laughs> knocking on doors in the unknown yeah. forward, whatever was happening. The world went over a cliff. Yeah. And we let our door to door team go and changed our focus to inbound marketing. How do we make our phone ring? How do we get our message out online to as many people as possible? So our entire shift of budget and energy and expertise went from going out and getting our business mm -hmm. to making our business come to us. Um, and we advertise on any online platform that you can. We'll purchase leads from anyone that will sell them online. <laughs> Got it. Have you found one channel to be more effective than the other? Do you, are you measuring your return on investment per channel? How does that look? Absolutely. So we track every lead source and the results of each lead source. So conversion ratio, closing ratio, average ticket, profitability per lead source. Um, and, and you see slight differences, but at the end of the day, they're all very similar with how they perform. Interesting. Um, so you're, you're getting, so I'll just throw a few out there because, you know, some people aren't going to really know exactly what you're saying. So you're getting, you're, you're advertising on Facebook, you're advertising on Google, you're advertising on Instagram, which you can do when you advertise on Facebook, you, you're buying leads from Angie, you're mm -hmm. buying leads from Thumbtack. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Craftjack op operates where you are, but if they do, you're mm -hmm. probably buying leads from them. Um, you probably have a, a website that, that people are finding online. You're probably showing up in the map section of Google. What, what else? Is there anything else? What else are you doing? Uh, a lot of focus on Nextdoor. Uh, we Big still next use door. Yelp. Yep. Uh, Yelp. Yeah. So you're telling me there's no difference in the people who come in from Yelp versus the people who come in through your Google ads? Similar, similar numbers. That's wild, man. That's wild. You're the, you're the second. You're not the first. You're the second person that I've spoken with who's had a positive experience with Yelp? Um, similar numbers. So similar average job size, similar closing ratios, similar conversion ratios. Um, Yelp's a little bit more challenging. You have to have open a conversation with somebody on Yelp. Mm -hmm. So there's a little bit of chit chat that happens. Got to warm uh, them up a within, little bit. Yeah, within the platform before yeah, yeah. our name and a number is provided. Uh, it's similar with Thumbtack. Where Thumbtack, you have to kind of work them. Yeah, you have to introduce yourself. You have to, you know, start a conversation, make sure that there's an alignment before they provide you the information on the, on the project. Got it. Now, when you, and I assume you kind of train your team on scripts, on what they're looking for to ultimately accomplish there, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, Absolutely. so what, what are, when you have similar closing ratios, similar ticket, you know, job ticket, value, are you willing to share some of those numbers? Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. What, what, uh, I guess what's your average ticket value? Average ticket value. Um, $6,500 right nice. now, 6,500. And, and your uh, profit's about 50%. We, we shoot for a 50% gross. So labor and materials. Now okay. our interiors are slightly higher than our exteriors. And then mm -hmm. everything gets skewed when we start looking at holiday lights. Yeah, holiday lights is, is pretty different business. That's <laughs> very, very different. Um, but exteriors were right around six thousand dollars. Okay. And are you do you guys run with 
an employee, well, no, before I get to that, what, what's your closing rate on these different lead sources? 45%. 45%. Nice. And that so, is, that's, that's actually, they became a, a customer. You mm-hmm. booked a product. What's your set rate for setting an appointment? Set rate? Uh, it depends on whether it's an inbound or outbound. Obviously, our inbound leads perform at like 95%. If you call me and ask for an appointment, you usually get the appointment. <laughs> um, but if it's any other type of lead where we have to go outbound call, so let's say you receive a home advisor. It's a name and a number. Now it's in our court and we have to convert it. That's more about a 60%. Okay. 58%. So, so, so if, someone, if someone calls you or emails you directly, you're almost always setting those appointments. Mm-hmm. And if you're buying a lead and you're having a, and you know that other painting companies are reaching out at the same time, then you're setting about 60 to 65%. Right in there. Yeah. Got it. Okay. And then it, for, for your employee model, are, are you... W-2, do you use subcontractors? What does that look like? For the most part, it's all subbed. Subbed. So the actual painting of it, the the application, the replacement, uh, we use 1099 labor for for that portion. Did you kind of find a a couple companies to partner with on that, or or how do you do that? No partnerships, but uh, what you find is it tends to be a fairly small community. Mm -hmm. And... You know, at the end of the day, I think most people are looking for the same thing to be respected and to be loved and to be treated well and to be taken care of and mm-hmm. to be provided well for so that they can take care of their families. Yep. Um, and we've just been very blessed with uh, some loyalty and some, some great relationships over the last four years um, and really helped some of those people grow their businesses. Yeah. Yeah, good for good for you guys. That's great to hear. So, what? Why did you make the decision to to use ten ninety nine labor versus W two? Scalability. Okay, just le- less people management. Uh, a little bit less people management, but how do you get to running? You know, a thousand exteriors in a season, and I have to train people how to do it. That sounds uh, difficult. Uh, yeah. There's also some of the financial reasons. There's some of the, you know, frankly, who's going to be a better uh, instructor on how to paint the exterior, me or a gentleman who's been doing it for 20 years. Um, and it certainly is not me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> kind of a rhetorical question there, huh? Yeah. Uh, so let the professionals do what they do. Um, I find great painters and I help them improve their business and, and help them improve their lives financially so that they can grow their team and onboard more employees. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of a, I guess, another form of delegation there, technically Absolutely. outside the company, but delegating it. Well, now what, when, so let's talk about, let's, let's kind of dive into the customer journey. You know, mm-hmm. you, you really um, kind of focus on that. So what does it look like when, when a lead comes through and they book an estimate with you? What, what happens? Yeah. I mean, most important thing is to be reaching out to them as quickly as we can. So uh, I do have somebody dedicated. Their job is working on the phone. Um, And I would recommend that be one of the first hires, if not the first hire for any painter who's trying to move himself out of the painting position. You have to have somebody to answer your phone 
and sound yeah. good on the phone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not have not have all this noise in the background and just correct. kind of pop, you know, uh, out of breath when you answer the phone. Or <laughs> that doesn't send a good signal. No. Um, and uh, so we have a beautiful, wonderful, smiling voice uh, to answer our phone or, or be that first point of contact. Uh, we have a professional estimator to show up for a quote, show up on time, looking clean, not in our whites, uh, organized and not flustered. Uh, and I, I'll say it again, on time. Yeah, that's uh, a big one. Um, and then a single point of contact in our office. So that person who first answered their phone is going to be their point of contact through the end of the project. Um, and then I have a project manager who works with them in the field. So the way that we view project management might be a little different than other companies, but our project managers meet with the clients uh, before any job starts, before any painters show up on site. They've walked the job with the project manager, uh, gone over scope, confirmed expectations, uh, laid out timing, uh, confirmed colors, uh, confirmed placement. And then we bring our painters in to meet with our project manager. Got it. Okay, so that, that's a pretty, it's kind of a, a pretty hand-holding approach, I guess, to make sure that the that proper expectations are set and that the customer feels well cared for. Absolutely, yeah. What happens after you complete a project? After we complete a project. Uh, first and most important thing, we send out a net promoter score. Nice. So we ask for a survey for, you know, gauging the feedback from uh, the client experience start to finish. Uh, were there any hiccups? How did it go? What other projects do you have coming up? Um, and are you familiar with the NPS ratings? I am. Yep. Okay. Um, so we asked the, the two important questions. How likely are you to use this again? How likely are you to refer us to a friend or family member? And uh, we finished this year with a 77 net wow. promoter score. It's incredible. Having asked every single client that worked with us. What was your response rate? About 37%. About. It's actually not that bad. It's hard, to get, it's hard to get people to respond to that stuff. But not, that, that net promoter score is fantastic. Do you, how do you get reviews? Do you, do you have some sort of system in place for getting Google reviews and, and reviews on Yelp or how does that work? Uh, we ask for them. Just ask for them. Okay. Do you, do you email or, or have a QR code or anything? Uh, we do work with BirdEye. Okay, great. Yeah, BirdEye is great. So, yeah, it's not automated. Um, it's not something that we, you know, send to every single person. It's not just turn the switch. I finished the job and a review request goes out. Um, those have to be done by our project managers authentically, organically, and I don't compensate anyone for them. You guys, are you guys including um, pictures or videos of the project with tagged with your reviews using the I software? You, no, 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 no. Okay, got it. I know with Nearby Now, I think with BirdEye, you can. You can actually have it, and, and I did see on your site, you have the heat map, and it actually helps with the rankings. There's a lot that that does for you, but you can actually have it tied where, where someone can actually click on the pin, and it'll pop up, up the review and, and pictures and potentially even a video testimonial of the customer, which is really cool. 
but wow. yeah, it's pretty cool. It's I geek out over that stuff. Uh, and who did you say that was? Near, nearby now offers nearby that. Now. Yeah, okay. it's very similar to what you're using, BirdEye. I don't know whether Bird BirdEye may even offer it. They really may. I don't, I don't think know. so. They don't. Okay. Yeah, nearby now does offer it. And, and that was, you know, the whole reason behind it. It doesn't matter the platform that you're using. The point is to be asking. Uh, and the platform's great and simple and quickly I'll send a review request with a, you know, few clicks of a button and type in your phone number. But at the end of the day, it's genuinely just about asking. Before we worked with BirdEye, we had copy and paste templates yep. for text messages. Yep. So here's your link for Google. Here's your link for Yelp. And you just copy and paste and text it over. Yeah. Uh, we had email templates prior to working with a platform. Um, you really don't need an advanced solution as long as you're asking for it and, and recognizing that your online reputation is going to impact that buying decision from someone online. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, even what we've noticed is even repeat, even referral customers Mm -hmm. oftentimes go back to the site they're all they'll oftentimes check out your reviews again everyone these are big financial decisions for most homeowners you know you're going to spend sixty five hundred dollars you want to at least feel like you've done your due diligence mm -hmm. absolutely and i do i do want to note too when when you you're kind of downplaying it and i i, I understand why because now you have a more advanced system and you're using a system and a software but even what you were doing with the text message and the email, there's a very big difference between including a link so someone can just click on it, it automatically opens it to, to leave a review versus, hey, will you leave us a review on Google? You know, go, go Google our company and find it and leave a review. Yes. Right. Yeah. That, that's obvious. The worst uh, thing is to not ask for the review. The second worst thing is just say, hey, will you leave us a review? And then, you know, event, you get to the point where you're at least providing, you have to remove those obstacles to the review. People don't want to jump through a ton of hoops to, to leave you a review. Um, and I, I think that in general, um, it applies to both the reviews, but it applies to hiring a painting contractor. Ease of use. Ease of use is probably the number one buying decision for most people. How easy is it to say yes to this person? Interesting. So how, do you, how do you do that? How do you make it easy for, for painting contractors to say yes? How do you make it easy? Uh, be available, mm -hmm. answer your phone, call them back. <laughs> <laughs> Fundamentals, back to 101 here, hiring 101. Uh, you know, and it, it sounds crazy. Uh, we hear people say, I, I told somebody yes, but I haven't been able to get on the schedule. So what are your, what's your timing look like? Yeah. Um, that's a way to make it easy. Uh, don't be booked out for six months. Mm, yeah. If you can't take work for a certain amount of time, they will find somebody else to work with rather than waiting. Uh, and I've heard this debate consistently within the community of, I like to be booked out because I feel secure. Sense of comfort. Yeah. You know, maybe there's some sacrifice that could be made in order to meet people's needs quicker, easier, more conveniently. So yeah, but if you, uh, manage if you that. Out and you don't hire, then you can complain about how you can't hire and how you're booked out too long. <laughs> so it kind of works out. Think about it. 
Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and self-serving. Be booked out for six months. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I think it, you got to figure out what you want out of your business. So when when you and you started with that, you started this this interview with that, that it helped you knowing kind of where you wanted to be. And that's helped your scale. Can you talk a little bit about this, this sort of vision that you started with, how you how you selected that and how that's helped you? Yeah, um, I think it's important to have those the, those roadblock goals, not roadblocks, um, your roadmap to the future. Mm-hmm. So as a company, we operate with one year, three year, five year, 10 year goals. And that's shared amongst our leadership team. And it's shared without throughout the company. So making sure that everyone from the leadership down knows where, what's our one year, what's our three year, what's our 10 year goals. And those are consistently resetting as we move through years. Do you share your numbers with, with the painters? Uh, we share them internally with uh, all of the W2 employees. Uh, I have shared numbers with specific team members mm-hmm. uh, or not team members, excuse me, specific painters. Mm-hmm. So if a painter wanted to know, I'd be happy to show them what the bottom line actually looks like. Yeah, it's uh-huh. pretty transparent. When you're sharing these these goals of one, three, five, ten, what does that look like? Especially if you're not sharing, you know, bottom line numbers with everyone. How are you? How are you kind of setting those goals? Um, top line revenue, okay. uh, department growth. Yeah. So how many people? Do we have currently in this position and how many will we have? Got so it. it's creating the opportunity for growth and advancement within a career. They don't care if the business goes from 1 million to 5 million. They care about how many other salespeople are there because when, who's going to manage those salespeople? Because mm. eventually they could be promoted to a middle management position. Correct. So you have to have that sort of opportunity for growth for people to want to stay and want to join. And if you're not growing, what's the opportunity or the incentive for your employees? Yep. Um, You know, it's the common saying of what's in it for me. They don't care that the business's goal is 5 million. They want to know what does that look like for them? What is the, the benefits look like? What's the profit share look like? What's the career advancement look like? What's the professional growth and development look like? Yeah. Um, so we try to take those goals and visions and break them down to what's it mean for each of the employees and how does their lives change? Right. Yeah, I, I love the fact that you approach hiring as a, a kind of a sales process, you know, and, and ultimately you you the painters that are unsuccessful really in recruiting employees I tend think tend not to look at it like that they they think hey I'm going to give you this many bucks an hour and and you're supposed to show up with a smile on your face and and put paint on the walls and make the customer happy and that's that but ultimately the, the you got to think w- w- if you want this ideal employee who really cares a lot about your customer who really wants to do a good job that person's not showing up for a certain amount of dollars an hour with no clear vision that person wants to move up right and I think yep. Yeah, it's it's ultimately uh, a people people business internally and and customer. Mm-hmm. And there's you know I think all of us are seeing this. Um, uh, there's some reckoning that's probably going to happen with our pricing within uh, employment 
and what people want to make. Uh, for all of the painters out there, we have a very clear insight into it. Look at any of your paint stores. And I'm going to ask if any of their paint stores are fully staffed because most of my paint stores are not fully staffed in the Denver market. But uh, maybe the manufacturers and the suppliers in other markets are doing better. Um, and again, it's having a hard time finding the part-time employment. It's having a hard time finding people who want to work for a certain amount to do a certain skill or a certain job. Uh, why move buckets of paint for 20 bucks an hour if you can flip burgers for 20 bucks an hour? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. Unless, you know, with the burgers, you're, you're eventually going to be capped probably a little more than if, if a painting company is seeing growth anywhere even remotely near what you're seeing, even if a lot less than that, they can still see potential. Absolutely. Um, okay, great. So kind of transitioning a little bit, because you are in Colorado, obviously you, you guys do have a slow season and winter and you'd kind of do holiday lights. Talk to me a little bit about how you handle the slow season, how much the holiday light aspect of your business helps and, and what ideas you might have for other painters struggling with slow season. Yeah. Um, everyone's probably going to be a little bit different. Um, really focusing on, on building that pipeline early on is so critical to it. Um, incentivizing people to paint in those slower times is helpful. Um, and communicating about timelines ahead of time is something that we found has been really helpful. So uh, what I mean by that, um, depending upon weather, if the weather's great, we can get to you for your exterior work rather than just saying it's a no. We'll paint it in April saying, okay, let's take a look and see how the weather is. And if you're comfortable, we can go sooner. Um, if you're trying to squeeze the exteriors in. Focusing on interiors, um, man, December is a tough month. <laughs> yeah. uh, to go from Thanksgiving to Christmas, uh, it's challenging for those couple weeks. Uh, New Year's is challenging. Um, and we have not had too many issues. Surprisingly, our January every year tends to be really good. Um, people are hit that new year and they're ready to do some projects. February has always been the month that has been more difficult for us. And I don't do a lot in February. Yeah, that's interesting. So the, when you say incentivize people to paint, how do you do that? How do you, you offer discounts if they wait for the winter? What does that look like? Absolutely. Okay. What, what discount do you typically offer? Somewhere between the 10 and 15% potentially. Got it. Yeah, I had read, I don't remember what book I read, and I'm not sure whether you've noticed this, if, if you're in that 10 to 15% range, but I read that it's some, some psychological, it might've been thinking fast and slow, huge psychological book, but 10% just for whatever reason, doesn't move the needle in people's minds. And 15% is that magic number. That's when it, they think it's, it's a really valuable, I don't know why. You know uh, I, I can tell you something not great happens with a 10% discount. What happens? Everyone knows it's 10%. You can do 10% math very, very quickly. 
So if it's a six thousand dollar paint job and it's a six hundred dollar discount, you see it instantly. You can't do the math off twelve is quick or fifteen for some people. Uh, it's not as obvious. And when you don't connect the percent to the dollar amount as fast, uh, it, it definitely works better. That's a good. That's a great. I point. would do I Thought about that. <laughs> yeah. And I think it probably looks like a, some more thought has maybe gone behind it. You know, when you're doing the 50, 10%, it kind of looks, looks fake almost, you know, just 10%. Yeah. Everyone says just 10%. Um, mm -hmm. I think the assumption is always that you, you bumped up your prices by, you know, 12% or whatever it would have to be to make them still the same. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, this has been really great, man. So I do have a, a couple more questions for you. You had mentioned that there's going to be a reckoning with the the employee pay i think we've all seen a shift in the labor how do you i guess there's employees do you, do you see any other shifts happening in this industry how do you see it evolving over the next five to ten years i don't think prices are going down yeah i don't think so either i don't think it's going to become any cheaper to paint your house yeah, um, I don't think so. <laughs> and you know we've gotten into a relationship now with our reps and our suppliers when we're told a price increase is coming i say Thank you. That's awesome. Great. Thank you, man. I have uh, another. <laughs> <laughs> because that means we get to also adjust our price. Yeah. Um, and any moment that we've had an opportunity to adjust our pricing upwards and where uh, we have the buy-in from the team, we found significant benefit. So initially, early on, as we started pushing the envelope of raising our prices, we would receive a ton of pushback internally from the team. The sales oh, team. I, the sales team. Yep. I could never sell this. No one would buy this at this price. Well, fine. You can raise our price, but expect my closing ratio to go down 20 points. Okay. Um, and over the course of the last year and a half, we've gotten very comfortable in that selling a higher price good. Oh, they buy it at 4,000 as much as they do five. And they buy it at 55 as much as they do five or 65 as much as they did 40. Oh, so it really does not have to do with the number on the paper. It has to do with the communication and, and the offer that you've made. Um, so now when we get that call saying, you know, there's another 7% increase on your material cost, we say, perfect. And we have the formulas built to adjust our material cost to give us the new output. Wow. Um, that's great. I, I think that's a point that most painters miss too, you know, and, and most owners miss is, is the idea that it really isn't about the number on the paper. If you're attracting the right person, some people will be about that number on that paper. And ultimately you don't want that. You don't even want that person. It's not the right person. Not, mm -hmm. not, if, not for you, not for a 6.3 you know, eight, 10, $15 million company. That's not the person. So mm -hmm. some people, what they want is they want to, it's about the trust factor, the, the customer experience factor. And if you're 10, 15, 20, 25% higher, it, that's not going to make the difference. Yeah. Uh, we often try to tie it back. So there's times where, you know, with a discount, we'll talk in dollars, not percentages. But when mm -hmm. I talk about difference in pricing between us and someone else, uh, we, we switch it back to a percentage. Well, they're a thousand dollars less than you. 
Absolutely. It's a $10,000 project. So we're within 10% of them. Do you think there's an opportunity to, we might be offering 10% more than they were? So you're Absolutely. tying it to the value. Uh-huh. Versus saying, you know, it's $1,000, it's $1,000. But when we provide a discount, it's 10%. It's not a 10% discount. It's a $1,000 discount. Wow. That is, I love that. Yeah, the, the $1,000 sounds a lot bigger. So you're using the big number psychologically when you offer the discount and you're using the small number, what sounds like a small number, the percentage when you are, are comparing yourself to a lower bid. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Got, got some psych psychological uh, strategies going on over here, Michael. I love it. Did you just come up um, with that? Did you learn that at, at the past company? How'd you guys, how'd you guys start doing that? No. Um, you know, I, I very much so committed to uh, the trade of sales mm. 10 years ago. Mm. And I don't know if I've read a book or that wasn't a business sales strategy book in the last 10 years. Uh, wow. So I couldn't tell you where it came from. Yeah, some somewhere along the way where you're studying studying the art of sales. Have you read Thinking Fast and Slow? Uh, yes. That's a great book. Yeah. Long book. I had to really commit to read that book. It was like 500 pages or something. Um, okay, do you, I guess, what, what, are you, what are you struggling with right now the most? Obviously, things are going really well. You have a very aggressive sales-oriented mindset. Are, are there anything you're struggling with or that you wish you were, you know, projects you wish you had more of? There, yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to turn leads up and down faster and quicker would be phenomenal. Having more control of that funnel is I think everyone's, you know, entrepreneurial dream is if, if I just had, you know, that faucet was right there and we could just turn it up and Switch. down. And, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, that would be a game changer. Uh, those things are a little bit challenging. Uh, the peaks and valleys of the seasonal work can be challenging. Um, you know, there's something that happens midsummer every year, which is kind of difficult, uh, where everything's ramping really solid in the spring. And then come July 4th, everyone wants to go on vacation or take a break or yeah, travel with the kids. I'll think about it when the kids go back in school. Yeah. Um, and those little itty bitty micro seasonality pieces are, are, are difficult. Yeah. They have... can impact the ultimate growth, especially when you have the you're trying to get to 15 million in five years. Kind of can't afford those little things. Um, it's just about being better prepared for them and, and recognizing that they come and, and trying to get in front of those holiday lulls. Um, that's a, a very small part of it. Um, the other probably bigger challenge that, you know, truthfully, I'm where I'm at is trying to make sure that my leadership team understands the ins and outs of the full business so that uh you know if in the event of not having me the the business doesn't stop so it's getting everyone or someone trained in each one of the aspects of the business to manage in the event that i'm not present um is really our biggest challenge right now and where most of the energies put 
Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Are you, are you speaking more to kind of secession planning if something were to happen to you or, or more in you'd like to be able to take long vacations and not worry about it? Absolutely. The second, second one. Okay. Got it. Yeah. It wasn't sure uh, how morbid we were going here. No, no, no. Okay. Well, I mean, um, everyone knows like that hit by a bus, how many people in your company does it can get hit by a bus before yeah. it stops running. And at one point it was one. Right. If I got hit, this thing stopped. Um, now, you know, and that's the difference between building a, a company or a business or is, yes, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs or painters are, they own a business, but they own a job because they have to go every day. Owning a company that operates on its own is very, very, very different. Yeah. And that's, we're, we're towing that line of having the right people to be running a business, to be running a company. Yeah. Yeah. Robert Kiyosaki is a big real estate investor. He's a big educator and I'm a big fan of his. And he, he has a, uh, the way he defines business ownership is if you can walk away from your business for over one year and you come back and it's bigger and better than when you left it, then you own a business until you can do that. You don't own a business. I love that. And talk about a strict criteria for owning a business one year one year yep gotta be i mean you have to just essentially almost be removed you own that business but you're not an integral part of working on it and that that may not even be what someone wants you know you may want to actually be much more actively involved but you that's his criteria and, and to me that's kind of the gold standard <laughs> yeah yeah um let's start small uh let's start with a with, a, with a month maybe a week then a month <laughs> A week and then a month and then a year. Yeah. Um, I love it. And, and that goal for, for so many painters, I think, would be life changing to be able to have a business that operated for a week without them. Yeah. The money still came in. Yep. The payroll still went out and the clients were still happy. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that, that's the dream, right? For, for most painting company owners, is you start it and you want the financial freedom and, and the flexibility. You don't want to be tied to it. You, you almost might as well go get a job. Mm -hmm. It's less stress. Absolutely. Well, Michael, this has been absolutely incredible. Do you have any other advice or any advice specifically for, for painting companies, owners that may not be at your scale, but want to get to your scale? What would you tell them? Know where you want to go uh, and spend every moment that you can thinking about, about where you're going to be. Uh, I think the, the pre-planning uh, the knowing your destination and then having a single focus to get there is the most important part of it. Um, and read sales so books for 10 years. Read every sales book you can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Read every sales book possible. Sale, sales solves all. I put out a, a little live video yesterday. If you have a problem, sell. Because then you can pay someone to solve your problem. Now... Oh man. Uh, I had a very wise mentor tell me once that you don't solve an unprofitable business with more jobs, uh, which is a mentality that I've seen many people take. You can't fix unprofitable by doing more of it. Yeah. So make sure you're profitable, then pour gas on it. Know, know your numbers. Yeah. You just bury yourself yeah. faster that way. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Michael, thank you so much for being a guest. This was, this was really incredible. I, I do appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man.
Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.